0: Ari Rosenbaum with a, another fun filled episode of that 401k podcast. Uh, this week's topic, we're going to talk about the pet peeves of being a 401k plant sponsor and what plant sponsors can certainly do about these pet peeves. But of course, first things first, um, we are planning on events live uh, Friday, April the 8th in Phoenix, Arizona. Friday, June 24th in Miami, Florida. Hopefully there will be uh, a baseball season to start with. Uh, If the baseball season for some reason or another lags on with this lockout, we'll have to reschedule the events, but I'm hopeful that an agreement will come very, very, very soon. Um, We'll see what happens, and uh, you can always go to that4ksec.com for further information on all our live events. Speaking of live, on Thursday, March uh, the fourteenth, I believe, uh, we will return uh, with that four hundred and one K, that K virtual bunch or whatnot, um, uh, with a live episode. We're going to talk to a plant provider dealing uh, with a very unique service that uh, I think uh, will be eventually the rage for anybody interested. Uh, in the minute part of the retirement plan business, something you don't want to deal with. And I I think that if you're a plan sponsor, a plan provider, you'd certainly be interested in our discussion. And I believe that's Thursday, March the 14th at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And of course, if you miss it, it will be available on YouTube. Um, And of course, uh, go to that4ksite.com for further information on all our uh, live uh, events And this week's topic, pet peeves. And um, I think that people may know, uh, I probably referenced it quite a bit over the years, especially in articles, but I'm a huge fan of Kirby Enthusiasm. Uh, Larry David, you know, obviously the creator of Seinfeld, the creator and star of Kirby Enthusiasm. Uh, I enjoy the show because I think. Larry, uh, takes my, like, inner monologue, uh, dealing with a lot of pet peeves, and just, you know, enunciates it to, uh, comedic effect. Um, you know, some of my pet peeves in life, um, pig parking, uh, which Larry had talked about in one of the episodes, people who can't, you know, in a parking lot can't park within the lines. Uh, that's a pig parker. I grew up in Brooklyn, where you have to do a lot of parallel parking, um, Parallel parking is, is difficult. Um, I, uh, you know, these days, the last 25 years almost in Long Island, um, certainly has uh, negatively impacted my parallel parking, but I, I think I'm still pretty decent. Uh, Pick parking is a big deal. I mean, get it between the lines. I mean, it's the same thing, you know, people, you know, uh, when you were a kid uh, and you're, you know, using a coloring book, you had to get the uh, coloring between the lines. I mean, what's the big deal? And speaking about parking lots, uh, people who leave shopping carts uh, in the middle of in the parking lot—they can't simply put it in the corral, and of course, um, they always put it in the uh, handicap spots. I always like that, you know, <laughs> the people who uh, have a tough time getting around because, um, you know. They may have some sort of disability. Let's put the carts in that little parking spot. I mean, that, that, that just shows me the lack of decency and, and uh, just empathy for other people. Um, and, you know, now with the masks, um, you know, I wear my mask all the time. Uh, I, I, I love people who tell me that masks don't work. You know, the people who uh, barely graduated high school are doing uh, science research. But what annoys me about the masks is... You know they're ending the they ended the mask mandate in um, in New York, but I feel that either you wear a mask or you don't. But the people that have that mask uh, on their chin uh, or they're not covering their nose and the mouth it just drives me nuts. It's like you know what, Um, either wear it or you don't. Everything else, you know, a mask is not a fashion accessory. Wear it or don't wear it, and that's it. But those just are several (laughs) of my pet peeves. But being a plant sponsor. It isn't fun. Um, You know, as they always say in the Spider-Man movies, with great power comes great responsibility. And, uh, you know, Steve Ditko and Stan Lee were were certainly not 401k plan sponsors, but uh, that line holds true for plan sponsors. Plan sponsors, you know, have the the problem that they got to wear two hats, Um, just like Peter Parker's got, you know, two identities. He's Peter Parker and Spider-Man. So a plan sponsor is not only the plan sponsor, you know, an employer, they're also a plan fiduciary. And of course, being a plan fiduciary means that you have the highest duty of care in law and equity. And the reason is, you know, you're going to be holding money uh, for, or, you know, for plan participants. You're, you've are got to be careful with somebody else's money than you are with your own. That's just the nature of being a fiduciary. And, you know, Harry Truman said it best. He wasn't a 401k plan sponsor e- either, but he had that line. The buck stops here on his desk. And the buck does stop with the plan sponsor on most plan issues. And you know, I don't care what advice says. You can never fully and truly eliminate fiduciary... You can never eliminate liability with running a plan. Yes, plan sponsor can certainly outsource fiduciary liability to a 316, to a 338, uh, but can never fully eliminate all liability because, you know, you, you hire a bad 316 and 338, um, you're still in trouble for negligent hiring I mean the, the people that use vantage benefits for a 316/ TPA and Jeff Ritchie and his wife stole millions of dollars from their clients uh, you know that the, the plan is still responsible for doing that and the goal really for a plan sponsor is to never you know can never if you can never eliminate it uh, you got to do your best in minimizing it you know obviously a plan sponsor should be buying for sure liability insurance Uh, protecting the unlikelihood that there's going to be some sort of litigation. Litigation is expensive, and as a fiduciary, there may be some personal liability involved. And unlike an ERISA bond, which is required for every ERISA-qualified plan, um, an ERISA-covered plan, um, fiduciary liability insurance isn't legally required, and I recommend it for anybody uh, that has a plan with employees. Um, of course, another problem with being a plant fiduciary is that third-party administration uh, and, and financial advisor, those plant providers, um, you know, the problem is is the TPA alone uh, doesn't do anything to limit liability. TPA is just a third-party administrator. Uh, obviously, that's different from a TPA that takes on the 338 responsibility, um, uh, I mean, the 316, did I say three 316 liability. Uh, You know, you certainly can hire TPA or or an independent provider to be that 316 administrator. You can certainly hire an advisor to be a 338 fiduciary. Um, They will assume, you know, obviously a portion of the plan by, you know, getting that delegation from the plan sponsor, which, of course, is different from that 321 co-fiduciary financial advisor arrangement, So, which which is, you know, of no use to discuss because... um, a plan sponsor will still be responsible for the fiduciary aspects uh, of the in, in the conduct of the, the 321 um, fiduciary. So, 338 obviously they assume the liability for the financial commodity plan. You know, they pick the investments, they educate the plan participants. Um, and again, um, like I said, you're still on the hook, you know, plan sponsors still on the hook for hiring them. Um, You know, vantage benefits, again, that was a certain situation. Um, I haven't seen any 338s yet who who have broken bad, but, you know, eventually that may be the case uh, one day. Uh, Of course, one of the great options of minimizing liability for the plan sponsor is to say, you know what, I don't want to be in the plan sponsor business. Why don't I join a pooled employer plan? And a pooled employer plan for everybody who knows. It's that new multiple employer plan in effect since January 1, 2021, uh, that will allow companies that have no connection to each other to um, have a cooperative, in a sense. I always remind, it always reminds me of uh, uh, out in the New York area, you know, uh, in terms of supermarkets, we don't, we don't really have that many uh, choices for supermarkets anymore. Uh, but in New York and Long Island area, you got Stop and Shop, um, you have King Cullen. Stop and Shopping King Cullen almost merged at one point, which would have really killed our choices for supermarkets. But they're, you know, uh, a a company-run chain of supermarkets. But that's different from ShopRite. ShopRite is uh, operated uh, uh, by the Wakefern Corporation, and individual stores are owned by other companies or individuals. So the... um, ShopRite, that they still have in Plainview, uh, it's the same guys who own um, the ShopRite in Comac. But that's different from the guy who owns the ShopRite in Unidale. It's basically, ShopRite is a cooperative. Um, if you own a ShopRite, you own shares of Wheatfern and it's a cooperative that buys products, products, uh, uh, you know, it's a collective, and they, you know, independently operate their stores, but they still have the same branding. They still have the same circulars, the same sales, and whatnot. But they're independently owned. So, I compare, I compare a, a Pep to a Shoprite. You know, banding together, smaller people, smaller plans, banding together, uh, and and buying plan services in bulk, kind of like Costco. Uh, because you also compare it to Costco. Um, and of course, one of the uh, beauties of the, the pooled employer plan is it takes a lot of the guesswork that we had about uh, MEPs, multiple employer plans, uh, and it has a mechanism for fiduciary liability and, and minimizing it. The pooled employer plan has a pooled plan provider that effectively operates as a 316 administrator of the plan, runs the plan deals with the day-to-day aspects of the plan, uh, hires the other plan providers, a PEP adopting employer, which a company could be by, by, by merging in. Uh, they're sitting a lot of control, but um, they're seeding a lot of liability that goes with it. Um, obviously, um, for a plan sponsor that wants to join one, uh, they do have the liability of evaluating uh, pooled employer plans, looking at costs, uh, vetting the pool plan provider, and whatnot. So there still is some sort of liability involved, but it takes a lot of a headache. Don't have to deal with the 5500 anymore. Um, to me, it's like a white glove treatment, and um, you know, you, you see Peps uh, mainly in the small plan area but uh, there may be attractiveness for medium-sized plans. I think for large-sized plans, you know, I don't think there's any attraction there. Um, You know, Exxon isn't joining a PEP. Uh, A lot of large corporations won't. Um, You know, uh, again, uh, there is some type of liability left. Um, You know, joining a PEP certainly doesn't, Absolve the plan sponsor or now adopting employer of joining a PEP. You know, uh, again, you have plan providers that break bad. Um, you have a, a PEP that may be too expensive. Um, it's still it's, it's still a problem. Next on my list, a pet peeve is uh, it's annoying. It's that participant enrollment education meeting. And you know, obviously, I think the biggest misnumber about um, 401k plans is the concept that plan sponsors will not be liable for what plan participants invest in their own account and lose. Um, the problem is is that plan sponsors don't really understand the significance of ERISA 404C. It's predicated on the part that uh, a plan sponsor wouldn't be held liable for any losses sustained by a plan participant as long as plan participants get enough information to make informed investment decisions. So I always bring up my old law firm's plan, and, uh, and I, I do that this, this past Friday, um, I was at the post office in Garden City and I ran into somebody who, who still works at that law firm and I was telling them the, the situation, uh, that, you know, I joke about it a lot. Um, and I think I, I, I you know, I, I, I think if you look at, at my, uh, if you look at my, you know, uh, Certainly, negatives, uh, things that I, I would, you know, I should fix, but I don't. I, you know, kidding and, and laughing about my experience at, at that law firm, um, you know, it's part, you know, being ticked off the way I was treated. But now, ever since then, it's the joy that I left that place and that I was always right about how they were and how I kind of predicted their downfall. And you could see that in the writings for the past 12 years. I think originally, When I first started, it was more like, you know, I still can't believe they did this to me. And, you know, when you have a certain level of success um, and you had people that doubted you, uh, you know, one of the drawbacks is that you like to rub it in their face. And, um, you know, I always bring up that law firm 401k plan and the HR director, Pat, because, you know, Pat was involved with making really bad decisions for the 401k plan. You know, she was the one in charge, plan trustee, who didn't hire a financial advisor for 10 years. Um, didn't, you know, have an investment policy statement. Um, you know, had no advisor on the plan, giving participants no education or, you know, guidance whatsoever. And when it came time to, for me to help her fix the plan, she didn't listen to any of my advice. Uh, she didn't keep me in the loop and uh, you know, it, it still it still drives me nuts. You know, you're changing the CPA, and you're not letting the one person who knows about the situation, and uh, that that was certainly one of my big pet peeves. Um, you know, and I, and I will still bring it up because um, I kind of, quite honestly, say that in the 23 years as a nurse attorney, I don't think I've been, I don't think I was as embarrassed, purposefully embarrassed by somebody. Um, you know, I just, I just. You know, I think if you ask an expert for an for an opinion, uh, keep them in the loop, even if you don't follow that opinion. And, and I wasn't, and I, I think it was just, like, arrogance. Uh, and, of course, you know, a couple years later, I discovered that there was a big issue with the plan that I had nothing to do with. Um, I was asked to come in to help them out, and when Pat got wind of it, she made sure that she canceled the meeting. But that's that's neither here nor there. And, uh, you know, again, Arissa 4-4-C... Requires education and information and, um, you know, it's, it's, you you know, plan sponsors really just can't pass up those meetings. Uh, It's important to have these enrollment education meetings, make sure plan participants know about them, keep an attendance list, Uh, you know, that sort of thing, because it's all about protecting the plan sponsor. Yes, it's nice to give participants enough information. To make informed investment decisions, we like that. But more importantly, it keeps the plan sponsors out of trouble. And over the past few months, we've had a choppy stock market. Now, you know, if you listen to some of the experts, uh, it's going to be throughout 2022. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, some people say that the market is expensive as it is, there should be a correction. And obviously, when we have corrections, you have you know, plan participants not knowing what to do, losing money, panicking, and locking in their losses and whatnot. So I think now more than ever, I think it's important for plan sponsors to um, get that protection uh, by getting their, um, you know, financial advisors in there for the enrollment participant meetings, not, you know, constantly pushing it off. Um, And I always like it tied to the, uh, uh, entry date for plan participants. That's why I always like quarterly rather than monthly. Uh, if you have monthly entry dates, uh, does that really mean you need twelve uh, fiduciary meetings uh, for new participants? If you get a lot of new participants, in, you might. Um, and that's why I don't kind of. That's why I kind of like always kind of like quarterly entry. You know, obviously as, as an employee, I would have liked uh, I would have liked monthly, but I'm not an employee for a long time. And speaking of employees, one of the pet peeves is dealing with former employees and. I uh I will always say that the reason I've never had an employee work for me is because I was an employee once too and I know that it's kind of impossible to satisfy any employee. Even though I still think to this day I was underpaid uh and you know wasn't listened to but that's neither here nor there. Former employees are a great threat to plant sponsors plant sponsors don't realize it. Uh but it it's human nature. Uh people suddenly uh, get, uh, you know, get that, you know, drink that cup of courage when they're no longer within your uh, employment. That's just, that's just, that's just a fact. That's just a fact. You know, RISA 404C to me, um, it's a measuring stick uh, of protection. You know, it's not an all or nothing. Um, the more a plant sponsor can provide and, and support plant participants, it's going to offer them a greater. Uh, liability protection. If you're going to be like my old law firm at Pat and, and do nothing until you know some lowly or associate tells you you're screwing up, um, you're not going to get protection whatsoever. So I think that it's important for plan uh, sponsors to realize that uh, you can't blow off these enrollment meetings whatsoever. Um, former employees, um So, sorry for the disruption. You you get a phone call and you get you lose your train of thought. But going back to former employees, um, I was informed for an former employee. I know what it's like to be aggrieved, and for the plan sponsor, um, being aggrieved, um, you know, being being ticked off at the employer, um, it could lead to litigation. But more importantly. Um, having dealt with two major Department of Labor investigations, uh, they were both at the behest of former plant participants or actually former employees who believed that they should have been uh, accruing a benefit on their defined benefit plan, even though the plan prop- uh, improperly excluded them by name. Um, I just think it's a, it's a complete and utter headache. Uh, in addition, I think that plant sponsors um, – Should kindly ask uh, former employees to just take the money uh, out of the plan once they terminate employment, especially if they're under the cash out rule. And, um, you know, with the Department of Labor ratcheting up uh, enforcement uh, concerning missing participants, I think it's very, very important for plan sponsors to delineate a process to properly locate participants, uh, former employees who are participants still. Uh, I call them former participants because, you know, you are a participant in the plan, but you, you're not actually actively participating. Uh, it's important for the plan sponsor to follow up on these former employees um, because, you know, they have the same ERISA rights as a, as a current employee who's a participant. And uh, plan sponsors have a very good job of forgetting how to follow up these, these former employees. And, uh, you know, and uh, and y- if you can't locate them, that creates a, another problem that P- the oil is going to be very concerned about. And uh, I think that uh, it's, uh, you know, a headache that can be avoided. Last but not least, uh, you know, I get annoyed with the, uh, whether it's uh, through email or through the mail or through LinkedIn, plan providers just trying to sell me a service, not, you know, not interested in developing a relationship. It's because they really don't realize what I do. They don't know I'm, you know, quote unquote, a leading risk attorney. So it drives me nuts when somebody's just trying to solicit my business um but because if you're a plan sponsor uh you know the 5500 is readily available um you're going to get solicited blindly from plan providers um whether it's accountants who read the 5500s and see that you need an you know auditor because you you have more than 120 participants um they'll solicit you you know they'll call you up they'll email you uh it's annoying um and, you know, I think plant sponsors need to realize, like, the outlaw Josie Wales, the, the bounty hunter, you know, it's a living, so as being a plant provider, um, you know, it, it's annoying. But, you know, obviously it's a necessary evil. Because It's a necessary evil because um, plant sponsors have a fiduciary duty to review plant providers for both cost and competence. Knowing, knowing that um, competing plant providers is a, you know you, – uh, by identifying other plant providers, it can certainly help you as a plant sponsor to use them as a benchmark for fees, because you know a plant sponsor still has that fiduciary duty to do that. And what better way than other plant providers in this business? So you know that's why I say they're a necessary evil. Uh, again, you know it is it is a living, uh, no matter how annoying it is and no how how much unsuccessful it is. Uh, I don't necessarily think cold calling uh, is, is an effective means of client recruitment. I'm a bigger fan of networking and, and you know, identifying sources or referrals and, you know, increasing your visibility among uh, the decision makers and, you know, the people that refer plan sponsors to plan providers. I hope you enjoyed this episode of that 4 k podcast. Apologies for the phone call. You know, have an advisor, good friends, had a question, and, you know, that's always been a part of my practice. I lost my train of thought by going back. And I'm not going to answer that phone call right now. But anyway, go to that4ksite.com for further information on all events. And I hope to have you guys again as uh, as, as, uh, listeners to the podcast. Take care. Bye.